You're in for a real treat. Mike Coop is a, is a, is a longtime friend of mine. Uh, thought we could take an hour just trying to explain everything they're doing down there. But Jonathan, if you would roll this quick video clip, and then Mike, if you would join me, this in five minutes I think kind of encapsulates what Place of Hope is, and then we can talk. My name is Lewis, and I'm from Lawrenceburg. And for the last 16 or 17 years before I came here, I was a maintenance supervisor at a uh, manufacturing facility and stressful job and uh, had two two heart attacks during that period and got started off on some some real heavy-duty pain medication and it just I just uh, abused it and uh, lost my job wife uh, house everything and uh, was living in the back of my truck for like uh, several months and my drug use got worse, and, and I, f I was at this house one night, and this is one night of just 10 years of using that uh, I'd run out and, and, uh, and uh, I, uh, I made me a hangman's noose and put it on the front porch. And I was, I was high, really high, and I went out and tied my hands together and and I put my head in there, but I couldn't step over the railing to, to jump off. And I got back inside, and then my daughter had called the police, and they came and kicked the door in, handcuffed me. And I came here, and I was a non-believer. I, 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 uh, I cussed God because of the situation, circumstances that I was in. And uh, I... Uh, Never read the Bible, never prayed, never never talked about Jesus or anything, and, and made fun of those people that did that because they were phonies. And went through treatment here for about eight weeks and uh, had, a, had a spiritual experience. I don't, I don't know when it happened. It just did. And, and uh, I started reading more in my recovery book, which uh, talks about us addicts and alcoholics. And uh, it sent me to the Bible, and uh, I read both now. I uh, I read my my recovery literature because it keeps me clean and sober. It saves my my body, and uh, the Bible helps save my soul. And now, when you get into a, a, a recovery program here at the Place of Hope, going to the lectures going to the devotions, going to the teachings, reading the literature, have an understanding, a knowledge of why we drink and use. This program here, the 12-step program, and the program that, that is taught here at the Place of Hope by Brother Mike and a lot of the staff members, all the staff members, um, it works. I met Mike Coop in 2005 when he came and spoke at a church that I was at. And five years later, uh, he and I are still getting to partner together on a lot of things. And when we launched Conduit Church, uh, Mike was just a natural partner for us uh, because we trust him, because we had a relationship with him, and because uh, he's a guy that has a heart for uh, the homeless, for the poor, for the oppressed. So partnering with Mike has been awesome for Conduit because we've got a group of people that are passionate about helping, passionate about serving those that are in need. But just like a lot of people, they're passionate, they have a heart to do it, but they don't know what to do, so they don't do anything. So this gives us 
the ability to say to our folks, man, if you're passionate about serving, passionate about doing what Jesus said to do, we actually have a way to do that. We have a common practical thing that you can do. Come hang out with us here on a Friday night with Mike and with his people. Uh, we can volunteer with him right at Place of Hope. Uh, it gives a great partnership for our church, not only financially, but it allows us to give legs, arms, hands and feet to what Jesus has called us to do. We're just a small little group of people overwhelmed with the challenges that we have in this place. If it wasn't for the partners we already have, we couldn't do what we do. We thank God every day for the churches and the individuals that partner with us. Without you, without them, we couldn't do this. You're as every bit as important to this ministry as any of us who are, who provide the direct help. We need more people. We need churches who'll come alongside of us with support of all kinds. Please consider partnering with us. And again, we need you. Hi, I'm Marty Stoop. I know of one life God changed at the Place of Hope. It was mine. Seven years ago, I walked in there on the bottom of the world, and I left there on top of the world with all the hope in the world in my heart. I tell you what, it is my alma mater. Mike Coop is my prayer partner. He's my warrior brother. And I tell you what, we need you at the Place of Hope. Come partner with us in any capacity. It'll change your life too. That is uh, at best a, a glimpse of what is happening at Place of Hope. I don't know if you know this, Mike, but when I was 10 years old, my uh, dad had uh, an appendicitis. They put him on some uh, painkillers and uh, began a two-year journey of him going from doctor to doctor, uh, getting more painkillers. And it, it, it resulted in him in a uh, mental ward in Omaha, Nebraska, a VA hospital, where they threw him in there because uh, they thought, okay, he's just crazy. And uh, he, they put him in there uh, to, they just threw him into a, I guess a cell, a padded one, where he actually ended up uh, crashing. His heart stopped. They had to bring in a, because uh, he was hopelessly hooked on uh, painkillers. And uh, so they brought in, you know, a crash cart, brought him back. He's got a fascinating story of what he saw on the other side, and it was not the bright light that you're looking for. Um, and uh, if it wasn't for a ministry in Tulsa, Oklahoma at that time, uh, Oral Roberts University, City of Faith, they took my dad down there, and nobody knew what, still knew what was wrong. Uh, they diagnosed it in, like, like side of five minutes. He's hooked on painkillers, you know. Uh, he was uh, stayed there three weeks, and, if, and I say that to say that we had no money, nothing, and we had no hope. And if it wasn't for a ministry that would have taken him in, um, we wouldn't. I don't think I'd be here. Praise, so, praise God. yeah. So there's, but I say this: there are stories like that in this town of moms and dads who have nowhere to go, and uh, because uh, they don't have money and there's no system in place, but you guys have provided that for that, so I'm a personal believer in it because I've experienced it in my own life. Um, tell me, Mike, about, for those that don't know, your story of how you came to Jesus. Well, it started off, uh, I was what I thought was a normal kid from a normal family and uh, middle class, and I grew up in a Catholic home, uh, but it was a Christian home. 
but uh, alcohol was part of our culture. And uh, I, I went to Christian schools my whole life, all the way through high school, but made some choices beginning when I was about 14 years old. Sports and music were the two most important things in my life. They were my God. My life revolved around both of those things. And <clears throat> I started hanging out with people that were older than me playing sports and playing music and uh, started smoking cigarettes, started drinking alcohol, and then started doing drugs, and then I was gone. I would never be the same again. And I became a violent criminal uh, over a period of time when God rescued me and saved me. I've had three important things that really have defined my life since that time. In January 1976, I got clean and sober from alcohol and drugs. In September of 1983, I made a decision that I was going to live for Jesus, whatever that looked like or whatever that meant. And then in August of 1985, I met Beverly Matthews, and that's changed my life. So everything God has done for me has come out of those three things. Hmm. And I, would, uh, I might put Bev at the top of that list. If I, I mean, if I'm an un outside observer. Amen. I think it was nice work on your part. Bev is well, I was going to say, for a guy who's dumber than a bag of hammers, you know, you were smart enough to marry Shannon. So, well, you know, right back at you. Well, people wonder why we got married so fast. I'm like, i got to do this before she changes her mind. She comes to her senses. Uh, so you come to Jesus, you're going to live for Jesus. What is the path? Because, okay, let's be honest. Like, what you're doing uh, isn't fun. Like, people don't sign up for this thinking, that's going to be an awesome way to make a living. This is a great career choice, you know. Uh, what was the path from 83 that led you down a path that thought, man, this might be the road that I'm on is to offer other people the hope that I myself received when I got clean. Well, going back to uh, uh, 1976 when I quit drinking and using, I, I had to try and figure out what am I going to do because what I did, I drank and used drugs and, and I committed crimes and I committed crimes for money. Uh, I, I liked being a big shot and uh, I liked the things big shots had, big shot cars, big shot houses, big shot stuff. And so now that I don't drink and use, what am I gonna do? And so I decided to go back to college. I'd had an athletic scholarship. I got kicked out between my junior and senior year. Uh, I didn't realize, now this is how messed up I was. I didn't realize I had enrolled in a Quaker college. <laughs> Like the oatmeal people. Yeah, and yeah, Quaker Oats. And so uh, I, my first morning there on campus, I was awakened about 10 o'clock in the morning with a phone call. And uh, it was a guy who identified himself as Dean Williams. I, I think, I don't know anybody named Dean. And, uh, and, and, and he said, I'm the Dean of Students. And uh, he said, we need you to come over to the administration building. And I thought, oh, man, they're going to welcome me. They found out I'm here. So uh, 
I'm waiting for you. I, yeah, I went over and uh, he, he got some preliminary things out of the way, and he said uh, there are there are cans of beer stacked up in your window, in your dorm. And I said, yeah, Dean, I'm sorry. I haven't had time to get a refrigerator yet. I just got here last night. So he said, this is a Quaker school. There is no drinking. There is no dancing. And I'm thinking, what do you all do for fun around this place? So anyway, I, I didn't work out very well in that place. And it's, they were so kind and gracious. They, they gave me three years before they kicked me out. And uh, so anyway, I got sober and went back and graduated, actually finished something that I started, which was a huge thing for me at that time. And then I was looking, how can I make money? How can I make money without being a criminal? And I decided to move out to California, get in the healthcare business. And one of the things I got involved in was a company that owned alcohol and drug treatment centers. Hmm. So I did that in a secular way and accumulated, and I was driven by guilt and shame. If, if you don't have Christ, and you're left to deal with a sinful lifestyle, then you're gonna to have to find a way to cope with guilt and shame without drinking and using drugs. Some people eat their way out of guilt and shame and some people gamble out of guilt and shame and some people, they do whatever they do. What I did was I tried to accomplish great achievements and accumulate great possessions. And I reached a place where I was more miserable than I had ever been in my entire life and did not have alcohol and drugs to blame it on. Now that's a bottom. And when I reached that point, one night I was accidentally watching the 700 Club. This is pre-clicker, you know? You had to get up and, and, and you had like five channels. Yep. And, and CNN was new and MTV. And a vice and grip on the, to, on the dial That's where the it. dial broke off so you That's can turn it. it. Yeah. So I'm watching a guy tell a story, a businessman who had reached a place of despair and, and he, he had everything in the world and uh, made a decision to turn his life over to Christ. And I'm thinking, I got nothing to lose praying this prayer. I didn't intend on being a longtime Christian. I was going to test drive it. And yeah, well, I got into it. I wasn't trying to be a good person. I was, maybe this will bring me some good. Now, that's not a very pure motive. But God will meet you where you are just the way you are. You know, I was laughing because the Bible college thing, like that was my, I'm, I knew when I got there, but we were in that same world where you don't want to, like we didn't, there was no dancing, but there was actually, so it was no sex before marriage because it leads to dancing policy. So you, you know, was, we know, you know. Don't dance of any right. <laughs> but you found your way from the Quakers uh, to this, but it sounds like you traded one addiction for another one. I, I did. I, I became a workaholic and uh, immersed myself uh, 18 to 20 hour work days. And being a manic person by nature, you know, I, I, he caught me on 
return my emails about 1.30 the other morning, so uh, I don't sleep. 1.45, and, let's yeah. and, and so uh, uh, I threw myself into work and uh, became addicted to that. And uh, then I decided to try Jesus. And I was living up in, uh, way up in Northern California, up in the mountains. And uh, there were people there that worked for me that had been trying to get me to go to church. And, um, and so finally, just to get them to quit asking me, I decided to go on this Sunday. And it was like uh, maybe six months, nine months after I prayed this prayer. I mean, I didn't even know to go to church, you know. I, I mean, now, I, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, and, and I prayed the prayer, but, you know, I'm waiting for home office to tell me what to do next, you know. And so um, this church was pastored by the most sold-out Christian I've ever met in my life. And, and I started going to his church just to catch him not being that way. And I couldn't. And, and his name is Bill Johnson, and uh, and and we we were we were meeting in this uh, movie theater up in Weaverville, California. We only had one service a week because they showed movies at night. See, so uh, a- anyway, I, I was there for over a year and was mentored and immersed in Christianity with these fanatics. Uh, believers, and and it totally and completely changed my life. And that church, by the way, today, uh, Jesus culture, the music that's coming out of that's that church, um, still changing lives uh, today. So you're now in Columbia, Tennessee, and if you haven't been by there, uh, this is a facility that, on its surface, would be, I would say, underwhelming. Right when you think, wow, this is not very nice. It's not air, air, heating and air conditioning, and they don't have. Um, but tell me, you're in Tennessee now, and you've you worked at Murray Regional Medical Center for a while in that. Started an alcohol and drug treatment center in a psychiatric unit in Murray Regional Hospital in 1988. And so from there, you quit that thing, which I'm assuming came with a nice dental plan, and you know a salary and things like that, uh, and wandered into an abandoned nursing home where Place of Hope is today. To, tell me about that, like the moment of uh, that you knew this is what we're supposed to be and this is where we're supposed to be. What was that like? It was frightening. It, it, <laughs> it was, uh, I had started a for-profit healthcare company and, and was printing money. And God told me in March of 1987 to shut it down and start a nonprofit ministry. And I about fell out of my chair, you know, and, and, and I knew it was God. There was no question in my mind it was God. But I had two things I had to do. I had to tell my partner what God had told me. And, and this guy is a surgeon. He's a scientist. He, he is not a Christian, okay? And then I had to go home and tell Beverly, you know? Now, it's like, uh, hey, I heard from God today, and oh, 
<laughs> what did God have to say? Well, we're supposed to sell everything we got and give it to him and go join the circus, you know? <laughs> pretty much sums it up, actually. Yeah, and, and, and so... Throw a couple of elephants in there. You know, I like to look cool on the outside, but sometimes I'm freaking out inside, you know? And that was one of those moments, so... So you, there's a, there's a nursing home that's abandoned, possibly haunted, and <clears throat> what, was, what was the plan? Well, I had to find out who owned it before I could go ask him to give it to me. And there was no Google. <clears throat> <laughs> and, and so I did some due diligence and, and found out it was owned by the, a guy who owned the largest privately held healthcare company in the United States. He had 250 nursing homes and 275 assisted living facilities, 30,000 employees in 28 states. And his corporate offices were down in Cleveland, Tennessee, and I found out he had started in 1970 with one nursing home and built that company to that. And I got an appointment with him and went down and uh, he said, okay, kid, you know, here's your hour. So I started talking real fast and uh, put on my California voice, started talking real fast, you know, because I, I got a lot to tell him in an hour. He, he said, slow down, slow down, slow down. Uh, I'll, I'll see you through this thing. So I told him the vision, told him God had told me to do this, and he said, oh, okay, what can I do for you? Well, you, you got this building up in Columbia, Tennessee, and he just built a brand new nursing home down the road. I mean, nice. This guy does things the way they ought to be. And I said, it appears this may be surplus property to you. <laughs> and, and I said, First of all, I, I would like you to give us the building. And he got this look on his face that I've seen before. So I segued immediately into, if you can't give it to us, sell it to me for nothing down and no plan to pay it. <laughs> I saw the look again. And the Holy Spirit said these words through me. He said, Somebody who's smart enough to figure out what you did is smart enough to be able to figure out how to sell this thing to me so I can afford to buy it from you. And he just kind of put his head down. I think he had that thing. I have just wasted two hours with a nut. <laughs> and a year later, he called us. I didn't hear the sound of It was of a year horn. between that meeting. Yeah. And he said, I've had you checked out. And uh, I found out two things. God's in your deal, and you won't quit. He said, I'm going to figure out a way to do this. So he let us move in in August of 1988. The funny thing about the, um, that from the time God tells us to do something to the time that it happens, sometimes there's a period of time. Absolutely. How, what was that like for you that year? Uh, it, it, it was intense. Uh, Bev and I really, we didn't know what to do except to act as if we were going to get that place. And, uh, and so it hmm. requires supernatural faith. Yeah. There's three kinds of faith. 
There's a faith of salvation that you get before you're a Christian so you can become a Christian. And then there's a measure of faith that's enough faith to believe for the next thing that God wants you to do. And then there's supernatural faith, which is the ability to believe for the supernaturally impossible. Hmm. And, and the scripture actually talks about a gift of faith. He, and he's got to give it to you. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so sometimes it's just preparation and going through things that you never thought you could go through to get ready for what he's got for you next. Yeah, one of the things that um, when you ask Mike, how you doing? It's how you, you know, one of his uh, answers, and it isn't pat, it's like true. Uh, I am faced with insurmountable opportunity. And uh, I have felt that myself on a few occasions the past couple of years, and I began to understand implicitly what you're talking about. So you have, uh, they, and, and Dolores, if you've met Dolores yet, she's uh, here somewhere. Dolores uh, was, uh, works uh, with Place of Hope, and they just, she just organized it. had your 12-year anniversary there, in, which is amazing. It's amazing. How is, um, how do you, so... For those of you that don't know, if, if, if uh, it's almost like the A-team, right? We were joking about that this morning, but it kind of is true. Uh, if you get a problem uh, and you can find them, maybe you can hire, you know, the Place of Hope team. Uh, but you don't have to have any money. It's like uh, when, when the Lord said uh, in Isaiah, all you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Um, if there's no money and no hope in that, you'd be surprised how many times. And it, it, I've heard you say this, that addiction is a leveler of, of society. The rich and the poor, it, it, it takes us all. And uh, I was with a guy uh, Thursday who uh, was a probably six-figure-a-year general manager here in town of a, of a company that lost everything. There was, he, there was no going to the nice place where, you know, you get uh, fruit, tea, and, and, and uh, air conditioning. He had no other options. And here he was uh, 80 or 90 days in a place of hope, clean, and hope, you know, in his eyes. How do you, though, because there are success stories and then there are failure stories. I mean... Uh, we had one of your uh, guys that, you know, the, 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 some of, and maybe some of you are those kind of people that just have this ability to hit the self-destruct button, like right about the time it's getting good, just meow, you know, and we had one of those guys crashing on our couch uh, for a couple days. Um, how do you keep from getting discouraged? Well, two things. Number one, Jesus just said, bring the net into the boat. Put all the fish in the boat. He'll sort the fish out. You just catch them. Let him clean them up. And then secondly, Matthew 24 and 25 has changed my life. The disciples asked him, what will be the sign of the end or your return? And the whole 24th chapter is every word is a red word in there. It's Jesus talking about the signs of those times and what they'll look like. Then the 25th chapter is a continuation of that. There is no end to 24. It's continuing talking. And Jesus tells three stories. First story, the bottom line is be ready, be ready, be ready. I'm coming at a time when you don't know when. Story number two, take what you got where you are and make the best of it because that's the final exam. And number three, he tells us what we're supposed to do and describes who we're supposed to minister and says, when you do it unto the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it unto me. So these aren't suggestions. 
The, the, these are things he's flat out saying, this is what it's all about. And so I got to remind myself, I'm not doing this because I want to, or I'm not doing it to be a good person, or I don't have to do it anymore because I still got residual guilt and shame. I'm doing it because I have to. Yeah. He told me to do it. And that's what we're going to stand in front of him and have him give us the account of what we did. He gives us a bucket list, really. You know, I've seen the movies. I want to go, you know, skydiving, Rocky Mountain climbing, <laughs> bull man, what is it, Fu Manchu, you know. Uh, but in that song, have the Lord have written it, you know, you got to wonder if it had been. <laughs> want to go love somebody in prison that's got nobody, feed somebody that's got no food, and clothe somebody that's got nothing. Uh, he's given us plenty to do. As a church, I was, um, I was struck by the idea that when, we're, when you're going to start a church, lots of people got all kinds of ideas about how to do it. You can go to boot camp, you can go to school, you can pay lots of money for consultants with clipboards and pencils and come in and tell you. But what was interesting was how no, uh, it wasn't on the list of uh, finding the folks that are, that are in desperate and dire need was not, there wasn't a, uh, in fact, it was the exact opposite of that. It was, hey, you need to target these neighborhoods because the average American income is X, and if you have X amount of giving units. Do you know that, that they, give you, they call you guys giving units when no one's around? When, when, like, when, uh, sometimes when churches are in meetings and they're having meetings, they, they how many giving units do we have? And we, you know, the spreadsheets come out. And, um, but the problem with a giving unit, if you've, been, if you've lost everything to drug and alcohol addiction, well, 10% of zero, zero. And if anything, it's a negative because we're busy giving you money trying to get you out of jail. Uh, but it's, that's what Jesus, it's so counterintuitive. But I thought, man, before we ever, if all we can do is say we've got this thriving, dynamic youth ministry with a rock band and smoke and lights. And, and we come in here and there's all kinds of dynamic and, you know, but we're not doing that. It's like an exercise in missing the point. And no wonder American Christians are bored because we're not, you know, we're busy, uh, we're going to church. And, I, and I've thought about this even with, I've got teenagers and uh, if you're, if you think Christianity is boring, I would suggest you're not hanging out with the right people, right? Mike's life is anything but boring. Uh, trust me, I've been around it. You know, Majid we had in here a couple weeks ago or Sam Childers, I mean, there are, that, there's the reason that we invite people like this in is to say that, hey, this, what we're doing here for an hour a week is not the point. This is like our rallying point. It's our maybe get some instructions for, uh, to gather to be unified, but this is an hour a week. Uh, there are a lot more going on, and that's what today we're actually going to take uh, teenagers. And if you have teenagers that haven't signed up and would like to go with us, we're going to leave from here. We're going to go to... Uh, eat first. We try to find a place that will allow a bunch of teenagers to go in there and you know pull each other's fingers and beat teenagers, and and then and then we're going to head to Place of Hope to hang out with you guys this afternoon. Um, nothing more dynamic than going and hang and being in God's presence and working on His behalf, and then you know relationships are formed and things are happening. So that's this afternoon. Uh, meet us. In fact, let me just I forgot to announce this. If you're a teenager, you're going with me. Okay, we got big red truck. We got Corey. Uh, and then Jim is going. Uh, meet us out here uh, by the, uh, the, just right outside this door. And we're going to leave here probably about 1230, quarter to one. So hang out till then. And we're all going to leave together and go down there. So, uh, and thanks for letting us do that. Oh, man.
and we're going to spend some time with some of the residents and the, the clients and uh, just get a chance to, it's so funny how you go, you go to serve, whatever, we get served, we go, God just pours into us while we're there. My question for you, Mike, is this, um, is there one victory that stands out to you most? Is there like a, a story that maybe encapsulates, this, is a, this may not be, but just in case there is, is there a story that says, when I think of this person, I think this is what place of hope is is there a person a name a story that really jumps out at you there's there's two okay uh one is the guy that you just had right there the rest of the story is he's on staff and has been what delo for three or four years yeah almost five years he's a difference maker this guy has been so influential in changed lives and he's just one of those stories She's one. There are a couple other in this place, too. And, and mine, and, and what my story is, really, it, it's a story about dreams that come true. God has given every one of you a dream. And this world has done everything it can to steal it or beat it out of you. And we tell our kids, do something practical because your dream isn't going to work out. You know? <laughs> Instead of trying to resource and encourage them and help them make it happen. But I believe God has given everybody passion. And passion is anger channeled in the right direction. And you find something you care about that you go make a difference doing it. It doesn't matter what it is. There are people being launched this morning in prayer to go into this world and make a difference for people who can't do anything to help them. And God love you for that. You have found the pearl of great value. And so find that. Find that thing you're passionate about and go do it. Now I'll tell you something. In January 1976, if you'd have told me, Mike, you're gonna be a preacher and an alcohol and drug counselor, I'd have killed myself. <laughs> that is not what I wanted to be. But today, because of all the preparation that I went through, kicking and screaming, today I'm living my dream. And, and living passionately, passionately, for something I can't wait to wake up to every day of my life, and I've got a family I can't wait to go home to every evening of my life. And he does. He's got three beautiful girls that are following the Lord. I, I look at it and think, you know, when our kids are growing up, uh, I wonder sometimes if the best way to uh, raise them hasn't, we've, we were taught for so many years, well, we dump them off at the youth department, and then we pick them up afterwards because we want to enjoy the service. And... I just wonder if, uh, if, if we missed the boat in that, you know, and I'm watching you and you're, cause you talk about, you know, kids that have been to the rodeo, you know, they've seen some crazy stuff and, uh, and they're following the Lord, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's, it's just a, you know, it's a thought. Do you have, um, we don't do this very often, but it's something that I've felt the Lord, you know, uh, lay on our hearts to offer, which is. You guys came just to sit and observe, but maybe you're thinking, you know, what is this or a question about that? Or uh, So my, my question to you is, you guys have sat and listened to Mike's story a little bit. Uh, anybody have any questions or thoughts or comments that they want to add to? I'm going to go be Montel.
uh, so we get on the microphone, but he's a lot whiter in person than I thought he was going to be. Uh, <laughs> more hair. Hi. We have, um, in western New York, they have City Mission, but they also developed Cornerstone Manor for women and um, for drug abuse and unwed mothers and that kind of thing. Do you have, like, a women's facility there? Well, we take women in, but we, unfortunately, because of our limited resources, we don't take women and their children. Now, there, there is a place in Mount Pleasant, Tennessee, called Discipleship House that specializes in taking women out of jail and, and doing a incredible work with them and, and turning their life around. So for a community our size, we got some pretty good resources, but we need more help. Hmm. And so did they. Anybody else? <coughs> Dr. Demister. Do you have uh, full-time people on staff with you? And if you do, how are they funded? Well, we get some grant money because we were the only licensed faith-based alcohol and drug treatment center in the state. And the state called us up one day and said, how would you like some money? That happens all the time. The rest of it comes from churches and people, all of it. And, and so we're able to offer everything we do for free to the people that come in. They stay as long as they need to. We've had, some of them won't leave, you know. <laughs> They've been there for years. But uh, so we have enough that comes in every month to, to and we just got a $450,000 grant to put a new roof on and a geothermal heating and air unit. We, we haven't had heat and air for, for 12, 12 years. years. So... We're in the 20th century, not the 21st. <laughs> like 1940-ish, yeah, we may be entering the 40s. God was very kind with that. We, uh, I, I get to serve on the board of directors, with, uh, which is an honor, uh, but watching that grant process go, because everybody talks about grants and this and that, but you never see it. And I'll be darned, it, <laughs> there it was, almost there a half is. million dollars. But now we've got to figure out how to pay for it. Like how do you, because know, you've got to turn that on. Uh, and they're not just giving that away. Any other uh, questions? You talked about how your dad got out of drugs and all that stuff, but how did you do it? Well, I went to a place called AA. And uh, I didn't know what else to do. I tried quitting on my own, couldn't do it. And, uh, and so this is a place where alcoholics and drug addicts share their experience, strength, and hope with each other. And because uh, they understand because they've been through it. And one, the way it works is one alcoholic and addict helps another one. So it worked. But the magic deal was when I found Jesus Christ and uh, be able to get his power and strength. And uh, that transformed my life. Anybody else? First of all, thank you for sharing your story to give God all the glory. What type of help do you currently need? Other than finance, if, you know, your resources, what are you looking for right now in the areas of service? People, everything. Uh, <laughs> e e everything from people who, who have hammer and nail skills to
to mechanical skills, to people skills, who, who can sit down and, and, and do counseling, who can uh, uh, do teaching, uh, people who are willing to go up on the streets with us on Friday night and pull people out of the fire of hell. I mean, it, it literally, we're, we're, we're up there on the streets. And the worst thing of all, we're giving them sack lunches and cold drinks, which is wonderful, and blankets and stuff. But I want to bring them back with us and help them. And, and because of limited resources, we got to leave so many people there. It just breaks my heart. And uh, I, I don't want to see people die. God spared me. God spared me. And, and with everything, I want to see how many people I can help for free before I die. That's, that's, that's my dream. And I need somebody. Here's a big one. I need somebody who's like a manager, okay, who can get me into churches like this. The only reason I'm here is because he's one of my best friends, you know, and asked me to come. But uh, so, so I got to do what I do. I can't be calling people up and begging them to let me come in their church. So I need somebody who can do that effectively. And then I need somebody who can help me get all of my teaching to where I can get it on the Internet and help anybody in this world, anywhere in the world, for free. So I, I've, anybody who can do those kinds of things, any. Greatly appreciated. We are um, surrounded in this room, some you know, some you don't, people that have been helped by Place of Hope, uh, people that are. Uh, Kyle Froman is, uh, handles the web presence for Place of Hope. Uh, when we first met, I think you were still using your AOL email address? Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm still using mine, are you? That's right, you do. <laughs> you have to dial up. Um, so people have uh, given of their time and their efforts. My mother-in-law was a counselor there on staff uh, for a while. And Where's Bonnie? Uh, she's right there. Oh, my gosh, you're hiding behind D-Lo. I love you. I love you, too. Alwood and, and, and Dolores is still working there doing like, the Downtown marketing. Downtown Al Brown. That's right. They were both great, great staff members. So I would, um, we're going to worship for a little bit and just, uh, we're going to do something a little different this morning. Uh, usher guys, we call you ushers. We need a cool hipster name for ushers. Uh, we're going to send um, our buckets down the aisle. For the, for the church, for, you know, regular tithes and, and, and the, what you do with the church here. But then uh, after a few minutes, we'll send those buckets by again. And if the Lord puts it on your heart, I want to invest in Mike today. All the computers in the world can't do what uh, Mike can do sitting down across the table from somebody. The power of the Holy Spirit in him. I want to bless his family. Um, and I'm, hear me say this, I, this I, I'm not looking for this to go to Place of Hope. Make your check to Conduit, uh, but we'll, we'll put it in one check to, to Mike and Bev, personally. And then one final thing, Mike had, uh, the, the Lord spoke to him a long time ago. And against the, uh, even, uh, the advice of even his board, like, you should ask for more money than that. It's like, no, God told me you get an army of $12 a month. That's three Starbucks. Actually, that's two and a half Starbucks a month. Uh, partners. 
12 bucks a month. How many of those, are your, your goal is 1,000? 1,200. 1,200. Which, because here's the thing, gang. This, the, the, the money from the government, this is a faith-based organization. Hear me say this clearly. That is not going to last. At some point, there's going to be a Supreme Court something somewhere, and it's been a huge blessing, and I'm, you know, I'm not nearly as mad when I pay taxes now. I'm only kind of mad. Uh, but that won't last forever. But building this army, 12 bucks a month, two and a half Starbucks. Maybe that's what the Lord puts on your heart to do, and you could do that at placeofhopeinternational.org. Go to the Conduit Church website. We'll slap a link on there to get them there. Pray that maybe the Lord will do that. So, again, don't get confused. There's going to be a bucket come by, that first wave of buckets. And D-Lo's got some uh, partnership cards that explain Even the better. Thing. Even better. D-Lo, would you stand up? Her name is Dolores, but we call her D-Lo. It's her hip-hop name. Uh, see, see D-Lo. She got something. I don't like doing this, but I cannot <laughs> not do it. Um, Place of Hope, Brother Mike and Place of Hope, they don't ask for anything. Most places you go to, it's six to eight weeks, and you're out of there. They let you stay long term with, without any money. And when most people come there, they've lost everything. I know I have. And being a single mom, working for minimum wage, part-time, I couldn't get my kids up here. I just couldn't afford to. My mom was ready for me to have them. I was ready to get them. They allowed me to move into one of their transitional housing. Brother Mike's words to me were, start walking it out. And I got my first two up here, and then my baby started kindergarten up here. Y'all, this is really good ground to sow into because it's not just helping the people there. It's helping their family. There's so many people there now. There's two that I know of single moms don't have their kids. And I know, they're, I know the place they're at. How is this going to happen? It's, it's too messed up. But there's nothing just so messed up that God can't put back together. And my life now is ten times better. God puts everything back together better than ever but also, it's more than just the money. It's, I was sitting here thinking, Brother Mike knows this. There's so many people here in this church that love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could use some of y'all's mentors over there for our clients. Just, you'll be over there today. Just talk to them. Give them, you know, give them your, just when they get ready, they're going to need people. They can't go back to a lot of the old people. Some of them can't go back to their families. It's not healthy for them to be around them. They need the support. So just pray about that, if you would, and um, thanks for Yeah, there's been a uh, statement that's been made to me that I think is a fair one, that you guys do so much globally. You know, what about the locals? And uh, when you build a church, it's like putting a big old puzzle together. Where do you start, you know? You can't do it all at once. Uh, we're two years in. Fascinating, but we're two years in. And uh, this is amazing local soil. To, to, uh, not just financially, but for our manpower as well. So ask the Lord. And you know what? If you're down in uh, Columbia tonight around 6 o'clock, or even if you're not, come down. Is that what time church starts? 6 o'clock. Uh, we're going to have the teenagers there, and I'll be there, and Jim and Corey. But come hang out with us too, you know, uh, tonight. And maybe you get to see, uh, you get to see 
firsthand what we talked about. So, Lord, we uh, lift up Mike and Bev and the kids. Lord, uh, I am thankful for the opportunity to love uh, this family, to invest in this family. And uh, that you would... they, They face insurmountable opportunity, but how about one of those above what he ever thought or asked kind of blessings, Lord? Maybe that'd be a good one. If... It's your will that you do that in their lives this week, Lord. Just surprise them. And uh, for the work that is happening right now for every one of the uh, men and women that are there, Lord, just supernaturally invade their hearts and minds and souls and do what you do. You recycle, you restore, you redeem. In Jesus' name, amen. That man gave us the building. Last year. Last year. Signed over the entire note. They own it free and clear. So let's worship the Lord with our hearts and with our voices. And as a bucket comes by, just ask the Lord what he would have you to do. This is not a pressure thing. It's a Holy Spirit thing. So.